the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Midlife is a time when you may be looking back at how you've lived your life, and you may be thinking about what comes next. Are you happy in your current job or relationship? Are there things you always wanted to accomplish but never found the time? What will your next 20, 30, or even 40 years look like? Today's guest, Michael Clinton, author of the book, Roar into the Second Half of Your Life Before It's Too Late, says that after 50, we all can move loudly and proudly into a life that brings joy. Michael is a former president and publishing director of Hearst Magazines. He is also an author and photographer. Welcome, Michael. Thank you so much for joining us. Joan, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Michael, so many of us, when we hit middle age, we tend to think that the best is behind us and that there really isn't much to look forward to. And I know in my own life, everything that I'm doing now, the the radio show, the magazine, the brand... I created all of this when I was in my mid-40s after raising my family. So I'm a firm believer in everything that you say and teach and have written about. So why do you believe that the best is yet to come? Well, you know, Joan, first of all, if you're 45 or 50 or 60 and you're healthy, you're going to have another 30, 35 years ahead of you. Uh, You could possibly live to be 90. And so you have the opportunity to have multiple careers, new relationships, new lifestyles. Um, you know, what I like to say is, let's say you're wrapping up your first career after 30 years at 55, you can launch into an entirely new career that can last you another 20 plus years. So the possibilities are very different than the construct that was handed to us by our parents in the, um, the, the days of, you know, retirement at 60 and then, you know, sort of the long slide. Mm-hmm. You know, there. There's a lot more to do and a lot more capabilities for people to experience in the next, you know, in the second half of their life. And I really love this messaging because I know so many people. I have friends who hate their jobs. They really hate their lives. And all they keep saying is, oh, I just can't wait to retire. And, and I say to them, but you, you want to wish away the next 10, 12 years of your life. Why not reinvent or recreate something that can take you, as you say, to the next 20, 30, maybe even 40 years. Yeah, I think, you know, this whole notion, uh, you know, ROAR, the book, is an acronym. And the first R is reimagine your life before others do it for you, whether it's circumstances or it's family or whatever the case may be. And I think that that's the key here. And I like to say, give it out into a new world. I interviewed 40 amazing individuals. I call them the reimagineers people who completely changed their lives at at midlife. Some of them were very unhappy in their jobs, as you said. Some were unhappy in their relationships. But they all found the path, and they tell their stories, which are quite quite inspirational. And the book also has a lot of, you know, practical advice and tips and, and strategies that you can use to really, you know, move yourself forward. So you mentioned reimagine yourself. Let's go through the O, the A, and the R. Thank you. Uh, The O is, you know, own who you are, own where you are at this point in your life. You know, the past is, you know, the past and you can't change it. So just own it, own your health numbers, your financial well-being. What kind of life do you want to be living and how much money do you need to do it? Own your strengths, your weaknesses, your failures. Um, And, uh, you know, also, I like to say, go to your last number, go to 90 
and work backwards. What legacy have you left? What contribution have you made to the world? The A is act on what's next for you. And it's the introduction of a new concept called life layering to build a very rich life. And the final R is reassess your relationships because your family, your friends, your community, your work colleagues, they're all the ones who are going to facilitate and help you get to where you want to go in your next, in your next chapter. So use those relationships, find your tribe, you know, take the people out of your life who are not supportive of you and, you know, enhance the people in your life who are supportive of where you want to go with your, your next dreams and goals. And I think, Michael, as you could see by my brand and the work is around changing your attitude, that is because what I learned when I was in my 40s and after raising my family, this is all the result of a loss of self-esteem, trying to figure out what the next move is, then going through significant personal losses in my life. And at the heart of it for me was learning the possibilities that are, are out there for me and then believing that I could achieve them. And, and I think once you do that, once you see what is possible and a belief that you can do it, it's unlimited. The sky's the limit for you. Yeah, you know, one of the great things, Joan, that comes up a lot in the in conversation are people who are in their mid-40s and they say, I wish, I wish I could go back to school. I wish I could learn something else, but I don't have the money to do it. And one of the things which I've learned is an enormous amount of money out there for adult education, Pell Grants, federal grants, many universities in certain states um, let um, people over 60, for example, go to college for free. And in the book, I interviewed an amazing woman named Stephanie, and she was a book editor. And at 53 years old, she decided she wanted to become a doctor, which has a whole host of you know steps that you have to take to get there. She ended up doing homework and got all of her education funded. Uh, she's now 63. She's a doctor, and her story is a great one of you know if you if you're really driven and motivated to do something different, you will find the path. Uh, another guy who was a, a Wall Street banker who was very unhappy in that job went back to school and got a degree in adolescent education, and he now teaches math in the inner city schools of New York City public school system. So there is a lot of uh, ways that people can get new education funded in midlife to spin them off into a new direction. It's just doing the work. It's making the commitment and doing the work. You've had a, a very successful career in publishing. What did you learn while you were climbing that ladder that led you to the beliefs that you have today? You know, it's a, it's a great question. You know, what I learned is, um, and I had some great mentors along the way, is to always be authentic, to always be transparent, to always be supportive, to be known as a fair and, um, you know, a fair boss and a fair, and a fair guy, uh, but also be, you know, straightforward and honest with people. And I think that led me, you know, on a... Um, a really great path of growth and success. And what I also learned as I watched the world around me is, you know, when your time comes to take yourself out, have the courage to take yourself out and to and to move into a new direction. So when I made the decision it was time for me to step out of the day to day, I had a whole plan worked out as to what I was going to do next. I, I hate the word retire. It's a very toxic word. I, I like to use the word rewire. You know, we're always rewiring for the next chapter of our life, and it never stops. You know, you rewire, as you said, Joan, when you, you raise your family, and then you rewire them to your next chapter, and you'll rewire again at some point in the future. And, you know, we're always kind of rewiring to the next chapter of our lives. And I think that having that kind of mindset and philosophy will keep you positive and moving forward. And it takes courage, and it takes commitment, and it takes focus. But it is uh, it leads to great life satisfaction. Well, and they say when you're doing something that you love, you never work a day in your life. And sometimes I work seven days a week, 12, 14-hour days, and I don't feel like I'm working because I'm doing something that I love. And, and, Michael, we've been talking about having the belief that you can do it and have the courage that you can do it. But, you know, fear is really a driving force in so many people's lives. And what do you say to that person who is really afraid to make some type of a change? Yeah, no, fear is real. And, you know, we all have to go deep into ourselves to ask, why am I fearful of a particular situation and a scenario? There's a tool that we use in business that I think you can use in your personal life, which is called the SWOT analysis. You know, really identifying your strengths, your weaknesses, your opportunities, and your threats. And, you know, fear falls into the threat sector. And sometimes, you know, when you, when you really think about it and you break it down, 
you're not necessarily as fearful as you think you are. And also the fear may be something that you were carrying on from the past that is no longer relevant in your life anymore. So I think with these people that I interviewed in the book, and many had fear in change, they spent a good year plus thinking about those kinds of things and how they, how they break them down and how they broke them down. And so it can be done, but you, once again, you have to put in the work and the brain power to, to, to face the fears and to face the other things that you, that you may face. Well, I interviewed a psychologist in the book, and she said, in midlife, a lot of people do negative self-talk because they say, you know, I should have done this, I could have done that. And, you know, her suggestion is that we, how to rid ourselves of that negative self-talk or those fears or once again to surround yourself with the people who really value you and see the possibilities in your life to be the, the person who is always looking and maintaining the positive reinforcement from the world around you, that gives you the confidence to, to break down fear and other kinds of emotions that might be getting in the way. And you said that you had a plan for your next chapter in life. Do you think having a plan can help someone mitigate the fear? Absolutely. You know, my, my plan was, believe it or not, in my 60s, I decided to go back to school and get a master's degree at Columbia University, which was in nonprofit philanthropy, because I'm really, I love that sector. Um, obviously, I wanted to write this book that I just wrote. I'm a marathon runner, so I'm planning my next marathon, although COVID got in the way of that. But um, I think when I, when I stepped out, here's the key. We, we all sit in a, let's say, a work seat, a professional seat, a career seat. And, you know, ultimately that seat may go away or you may leave that seat. Who are you when you leave that seat? And so I put in a lot of work to create an identity that was above and beyond that seat. And so when I stepped out of my great seat that I had, my professional seat, um, I, I was very full. I was not, I didn't get lost in a, in, a, in, a, in a past identity. And I think a plan to create a holistic you um, allows you to, to be able to make those smooth transitions as you rewire into the next chapters. And I think reimagining yourself really is an important key, particularly for women, because so many of us get caught up in the identity of being someone's mother, someone's wife, mm -hmm. and then we lose that possibility of who we are. And, mm -hmm. you know, that reimagining yourself, that really is a key. Yeah, I, I interviewed several women who were exactly in that stage of their life. And, you know, it's interesting. I'm just thinking of two of them off the top of my head. One was a single a single mother who had um, triplets, I might add, <laughs> and the other was uh, a woman who was married and her children had grown up. And both made the decision that they had to sell the house that they raised their children in because they both said that that identity was they were mom in that house and they wanted to carve out their next identity. And so in both instances, one, the woman who was married moved to another city. Uh, which she and her husband were always interested in. And the, the mother of triplets uh, sold the family house and took a smaller house in the same neighborhood. But it sort of allowed her to build out who she was going to become next. And you know, these were both women who were still in their early 50s, so had a really long you know, run ahead of them in terms of who were they going to be post-child rearing and you know, their kids were now in their 20s. And so now they were off on their own journey. So um, it was interesting to hear that, that perspective from both of them. I had taken a number of years off to devote myself to my family. I had left a successful, I had started off in public relations for a Fortune 500 company. Then I was an executive editor for a publishing company. And I, I stayed home mm -hmm. to devote myself to my family. But after doing that for a number of years, you really talk about the negative self-talk. I felt like, for lack of a better word, an idiot. I felt... Like I wasn't even worthy of having a conversation with because I had lost that part of myself. So there really mm -hmm. is a reimagining of yourself that must take place and then eliminating that negative self-talk that you mentioned. Yeah, and I think that happens. You know, think about this. You know, in, in 1940, the average life expectancy was in the low 60s. And, you know, so people, once again, our parents, you know, they retired and they didn't live much longer in general. And, you know, obviously, many people, everybody had an individual story. But today, the life expectancy is almost 80. 
And so imagine that you are, you know, leaving your first job at 60 or 65. And the first year or two is a little novel, you know, because you're free and you're taking trips and you're seeing, you're playing the proverbial golf game or whatever. But after a while, that gets a little boring. And, you know, all of a sudden you have to say, gee, you know, I've got 20 more years of living. I better be doing something that has bringing me value and purpose. And there are all sorts of things. You, you don't have to, you know, work again if you don't want to, but you can certainly volunteer. You can go back to many classes you can do in school. You can, you know, create um, new small businesses. And I think that, that what we're going to do, this generation is going to rewrite the script and the following generations are going to refine it. I think you're going to see this major renaissance of what it means to be, let's say, 50 to 90, you know, over the next decade or two. It's going to be an enormous amount of role models that are going to emerge. And the 40 people in this book are great examples of that. Well, and I always joke with my friends, you know, you look at someone like Paul McCartney and you say, boy, that's not the grandpa yeah. we had, you know. So. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, Mick Jagger. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Well, you know, it's funny. I, you know, we have a, we have a, a president who's 78 years old we have you know you know we have actors and actresses and helen mirren who's in her late 70s who gets amazing roles you know i think you can continue to do what you do um you know as you i like to say live longer uh as opposed to get older because it's all about the positive language of living longer you can do what you do for as long as you want you know like government and corporations and institutions are going to have to really accommodate all of us because we're the people are going to change it. The people um, are going to demand that they stay in their jobs, stay in their roles if they choose to, or start new things. And, you know, the Kauffman Foundation, which is in Kansas City, 26% of entrepreneurs and the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs are people 55 to 64 starting new businesses and new ideas. And so, you know, it's going to be a real, I think, movement happening in the next decade or so. And I think it's an exciting time. And books like yours help give us the tools to live the type of life that we want to live. Yes, thank you. Absolutely. And that book is Roar into the Second Half of Your Life. If you'd like to get more information about Michael and his work, you can visit RoarByMichaelClinton.com. Michael, in our final moments... What's the takeaway? What do you want to leave, leave our listeners with? You know, I want, I want the takeaway to be the enormous amount of possibilities that one has when they get into their midlife and their 50s. You said it at the top of the conversation that life has passed you. You know, many people think that life has passed them by. What I would say is life is still ahead of you. You have a second chance. You have an opportunity to reclaim something. You have the ability to completely reimagine and reinvent yourself because you're going to have, you know, a long arc of life, assuming you keep your health, you know, you're healthy and you keep yourself healthy. And so I think it's an enormous amount of optimism that um, you should have about what you can do next and what might be possible in your life, whether it is work, lifestyle, or even love. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation because you are sharing everything that I believe. I am roaring into my second half, and I invite everyone else to join us. So thank you for being here. Great to be with you, Joan. Thank you so much. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path. Personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. Time for Tea 
your health. Joining us today is Eileen Lashinsky, the founder and creator of Fine Body Freedom, a program developed for women who want to change their relationship with their bodies. For over three decades, Eileen battled with her own issues with body image, weight, and her relationship with food. After trying every diet on the market, she realized that the answers to her struggles were right inside her body. Since then, Eileen has been working with women to guide them to discover their own innate body wisdom and to find body freedom. Welcome, Eileen. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan. I'm so glad to be here with you. Eileen, you recently published a book, Reflections of a Fat Girl, Wisdom Lost and Found from Growing Up Overweight, and that book is now available as an e-book. You dealt with weight issues when you were growing up. How do you think being an overweight child impacted the way you viewed the world as an adult? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because it had a tremendous impact on me, Joan. Um, I was overweight uh, by the time I was five years old. And even when I was a young adult, and at some point in my young adulthood, very thin, I saw myself as fat. I looked at myself through, and this is how I frame it with my clients, I looked at myself through fat eyeballs. Every time I looked at myself, it was a distortion of what I, the size and shape I actually was. So everything got magnified. Every flaw got magnified. And um, I lived um, in childhood, in adolescence, and in adulthood in the world of comparisons. And what I mean by that is I would compare and contrast myself with every girl or woman I would come across. And I would ask myself questions, or even friends of mine, is my rear end smaller or bigger than hers? Am I fatter than she is? And so um, for a long, long time because of that, I did not experience the true sisterhood that we women can establish with each other. Because of the comparisons, it was like I was in constant competition with um, the women I encountered. Very, very, very sad as far as I'm concerned to uh, be so disconnected from, you know, Joan, the wonderful women that we encounter all the time. So, and you, you know uh, what? It, it, Eileen, I just want to interrupt for a moment. What's so interesting about what you're describing, I too have struggled with my weight throughout my life. And there were times when I was heavier and there were times when I could be a size three. And when I was a size three and I looked in the mirror, I never saw myself as a size three. I always saw myself as the heavier girl. Uh, I so get that, Joan. I mean, it was my experience, and remember, I've been doing this work with women for close to, if not 30 years now, and I hear the same thing, Joan, that you and I have both described over and over and over again. Same thing. So I totally get what you're saying. When we view ourselves with that particular lens, when when we see ourselves that way, Do you think then that food can become an emotional support for us? Because I've heard you say that women eat for different reasons and it's not always for nutrition. So when food becomes, and if it becomes an emotional support for us, what do we do about that? Well, I I want to start with the uh, first part of your question. Uh, Yes, food was an emotional support for me. Uh, and uh, I, I think that using food as an emotional support, and I think you would attest to this also, Joan, it's not just about our size and shape. It's about, okay, so why did we get to the size and shape um, where, where we're feeling like we are overweight, we're feeling fat, we're feeling like we don't fit in. And those are the reasons, oftentimes, more often than not, 
why women and actually some males also will use food for emotional support. So yes, I did. I used food for emotional support. I have memories of um, having just moved from a rural town into a city. Now, granted, it was a small city, but still very different from the rural area that I had spent the first nine years of my life. And I have memories of walking home from lunch to lunch from school uh, and stopping at the corner variety store and buying one or two candy bars. And I'm sneak eating the candy bars. And how do I know this? Because my mother's watching me out the window. Of course, she never said anything to me until I was uh, an adult. But she's watching me sneak eat. And it's almost like I'm thinking to myself now, reflecting back as an adult, I'm saying, oh, was I shoring myself up for going home for lunch because home and family were not happy experiences for me to begin with, let alone we had just moved. Lots of memories I have about using food to um, bolster uh, myself, to give me emotional support. And not only that, Joan, but to tamp down the feelings that would come up when I was unhappy or when I was frightened as a little one, as a child, as an adolescent. As you were sharing that story, I was thinking that I actually used food as an adult in a different manner because I had some wonderful memories with my mom doing things together that revolved around food. And now that she's gone, I think I eat sometimes in a particular way to feel close to my mother. Well, there you go. And that's the flip side of the same coin. Food is an emotional support to support us through our negative experiences and also to enhance our positive memories or our positive experiences. So how do we break that pattern then, Eileen? Well, okay. So, you know, you and I are talking about the first step, basically. The first step, I will talk about me. The first step was when I really started to pay attention to my body. And that was step number one. Eileen, pay attention to your body. Are you hungry? No. Okay, and I was very clear because I would get and still do clear hunger signals. No, I was not hungry. So why are you thinking you want to eat now, Eileen? And that would bring me to the reasons, again, whether positive or negative, whether it was to, you know, relive some of those lovely experiences with your mom, Joan, or for me to shore myself up for emotional uh, upheaval in my household. So the first step is, am I hungry? And if I'm not hungry, okay, so why am I eating? If I'm not hungry, I don't need food. What might I need? I might need some comfort, some love, some distraction. I might need to uh, call a friend. I might need to listen to lovely music. I might need to go for a walk. I might need to write in my journal about what I'm experiencing in order to release the feelings that are coming up for me so I'm not repeatedly using food as a crutch. So I would say that those are the first few steps in breaking the cycle. And I would also say, Joan, that um, we have to be gentle with ourselves because we're not going to do this 100% successfully uh, ever, but certainly in the beginning. In the beginning, it's trial and error. In the beginning, sometimes it's going to work. I was able to distract, distract myself and not eat, and sometimes not. And the loving kindness that we can give ourselves is so important here. The book is Reflections of a Fat Girl, which is now also available as an ebook. If you'd like to get more information about Eileen and her work, you can visit findbodyfreedom.com or to hear more from Eileen, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com/eileen. Eileen, thank you so much for joining us. 
Oh, thank you, Joan. As always, I love being here. We'll be right back. You've put your heart and soul into writing a book. You've made a substantial financial investment in getting the project done. And you have a beautiful publication with your name on the cover. So, how do you reach your potential readers? Introducing the Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life Book Club, a resource guide created for books that change lives. A book featured gets recognized. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life includes the work of some of the most inspirational and influential authors in the world. Shouldn't you be there too? Let's get started. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash book club. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Our next guest, Nicolette Blanco, author of the book, By a Thread, has been stitching her life together for more than six decades in careers that included work with at-risk youth, health coaching, and healthcare management. She has witnessed examples of adversity and triumph. In her book, she offers useful strategies for overcoming hardship when everything else feels like it's too much. Welcome, Nicolette. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, John. Nicolette, your book, By a Thread, is designed to help people navigate hardships. What was your motivation for writing this book? Years ago, when I was going through a particularly rough patch, uh, a friend of mine asked me what I did to keep moving forward. And at the time, I think my response was something brilliant, like, I have no idea. I, I, I had a family. I just felt like that's what you did. And I hadn't really given it much thought. But then a couple other people started asking me the same question. So I stopped to think about it. And, and I realized there were many things, um, sometimes very small things that I was doing to keep the motivation going. And then I started to think, well, if people are asking, maybe it's worth sharing. So I, I didn't know if, you know, what the outreach for the book would be. I didn't know the impact yet, but I thought it's bound to help at least one other person because people are asking. And to me, that was enough motivation and kind of got the wheels turning. So we're all going through some pretty challenging times right now. I mean, you know, this is a collective and then we all have our individual moments of challenges. But what would you say are some of the biggest lessons that you teach in this book? One of the biggest things that struck me when I was going through things was that sometimes it's the small things that make the difference. We feel so stuck sometimes, and I certainly did. And I think particularly in this day and age with what is going on in the world, it gets very overwhelming. So breaking it down into small, manageable things makes the world of difference. It made the world of difference to me, and I I see it make differences for other people. Um, So to just get to the core of what will get me through now and moving through that versus where do I want to be in 10 years from now or how do I get out of this huge thing that is weighing me down? Like, how do I get through today so that I can then get through what I need to do in the next steps? You have to be able to get yourself through that first step if you're ever going to get to the next steps down the line that may make a bigger impact. You've got to be able to get there. And I think that's such an important point because when you look at the whole picture, it becomes very daunting. And and that's really where fear can take over. But if you chunk it down, and you take that first step, just that baby step, and then you take another step and another step, that leads you in the right direction. Yeah. And I think sometimes people discount those little steps, you know, but if what you do makes you through a day, then I mean, what's our life? It's a collection of days. If you can get each day to get a little bit further along, then you've got every reason to be hopeful about things. Are there some particular questions we should be asking ourselves in order to chunk it down, to get to the core of what we want to do? I would say, um, what are the things that I am missing right now? I think when we start getting overwhelmed, at least speaking personally, um, I found pieces of myself I felt like were falling by the wayside because I was getting very caught up in the chaos around me. So I had to ask, what am I missing and what would help fill me up right now um, in the moment? Because I think the reason people I'm finding are relating to the, the idea of unraveling is because it's not all once, it's not happening all at once. It's this slow unravel sometimes that happens. And 
you start to drop piece by piece. And so the question of what can I do right now to get back something of what I've lost um, was one of the biggest questions. And I like where you say to try to get rid of that chaos that's going on around you. And and that can even be Mm -hmm. the negative voices that people, you know, they try to infiltrate your space with about all the reasons why you can't whatever, fill in the blank. And when you can let go of all of that external noise and chaos, I think that's when you can get down to figuring out where you are and where you want to be. Yes. And when people start to say things such as they don't, you know, they don't think that you can make it or they don't think you can do it, um, that's a reflection of themselves. And it's very important to keep that in mind. It really has nothing to do with you. It's really where they are in their life. And, and I even talk at one point in the book about when you see someone that you know succeed, that sometimes you have this initial, oh, that's great. And then deep down inside, I know I have in my life thought, oh, because then you look at yourself and think, well, what's happening here? Like, why am I not there? Um, And so it's always a reflection of the other person. It's really important to keep focused on what it is you want and what you know you can accomplish. And I like the title of your book, By a Thread, because I think there are so many times in our lives where We really do feel like we're holding on by a thread. Like, are we going to make it? Is there a tomorrow? You know, and and I think that's something that resonates with so many people. Yeah, it it was seriously my go-to expression when things were tough. I found that I was saying it all the time, like I'm holding on by a thread. And from there, you know, the the idea of the unraveling, that just came naturally because that was the feeling, as I just discussed, of slowly unraveling. But the by a thread, you're right, it's like people really sometimes feel like they're just barely holding on. And in my own life, I started all of this work after going through a lot of loss in my life. I got hit really hard. Mm -hmm. And there was a period where I wasn't sure if I even wanted to to move forward, to be here. Mm -hmm. And people say Mm -hmm. to me, you know, how did you get through that? And it really is hanging on by a thread. You find something to hold on to, something, and you cling to that. And then you build from there. And that, you know, it, it seems... Simple. It's extremely difficult to do, but that mm-hmm. really is, in my experience, as you write, the way to hang on, move forward, and heal. Yeah, and I think one thing also that people, particularly women, I would say, have a very hard time with is asking for help. You know, we're so conditioned to be caretakers and givers and fixers in our lives that we are very hesitant to reach out, but people are very willing and want to help, but often don't know how to help. And so asking, you'll be surprised at what will happen if you just ask. And not only will it help you in your life, other people will feel great about that. It's not an imposition. And uh, it just takes overcoming, I think, the conditioning that we've had uh, in the world and our place in it. Nicolette, what do you hope will be the impact of this book? My biggest hope is just that it finds its way into the hands of the people who need it and that it sheds some light on whatever dark place they're in. Um, And I know that that will have a ripple effect because when one person starts to turn things around, we always impact the people around us. So I don't know anyone right now that hasn't felt at least a little bit frayed, uh, given what's going on in the world. And I just hope that it's, it feels like a lifeline to some people, that it makes what they're going through feel manageable and not alone in the world. The book is By a Thread. If you would like to get more information about Nicolette and her book, you can visit NicoletteBlanco.com. That's B-L-A-N-C-O, NicoletteBlanco.com. Nicola, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What do you want to leave our listeners with? That they're not alone in any way, shape, or form. That there are people that will shore you up. And that inside yourself, as hard as things feel right now, there's one little light that's that's there. And that you're still in there. Um, And to just keep the faith and keep moving forward in hope and in love. Nicola, I couldn't agree with you more. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. As adults, we tend to lose perspective on failure. We forget how many times as children we failed to tie our shoes before we succeeded. We forget how many times we fell before we learned to walk, skate, ski, or ride a bike. 
When you stop failing, you stop learning, and then you stop growing. If you struggle with fear of failure, examine the root cause of your struggle. Is there an issue of pride? Are you afraid of what others might think if you fail? Were you criticized as a child when you made mistakes that as an adult, you're afraid to take risks? Understanding the source of your fear will help you overcome it. Fear of rejection and fear of criticism detour many of us from our journeys to success. Rather than face possible rejection, some people simply don't ask for what they need. Rather than face possible criticism, they conceal their true abilities and never display their full potential. Every successful salesperson must ask for the order. Every successful business owner has to secure financing. In order to attain our dreams and goals, no matter what they are, we must invariably ask others for their support, participation, assistance, or commitment. And every time we ask, we face the possibility of rejection. If you struggle with the fear of rejection, examine its source. Knock at the door. You never know what's on the other side to success. If you'd like to learn more, contact me, Bertha Robinson, at 732-705-5060 or visit star1professional.com. Hi, this is Mark Anthony with a quick path tip. What does your breath and fat have in common? Carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. At a basic level, all fat is made up of carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. Now, I bet you are not aware that roughly 80% of your fat loss happens when you exhale. How can that be, you ask? Take a big, deep breath in. Now exhale. Let's take a look at what happened in that breath cycle. Most of what you breathed in was O2, or oxygen. The oxygen that you breathed in connected to the carbon and hydrogen atoms in your fat. The hydrogen turns into water, and the carbon turns into carbon dioxide, the air you breathe out. Since the carbon in fat weighs more than the hydrogen, roughly 80% of your fat loss is exhaled as CO2. So what does this really come down to? Do exercises that cause heavy breathing. Whether you walk, run, lift weights, high intensity or low intensity, focus on your breath and revel in the fact that it's causing you to breathe away the inches on your waistline. For more information, please visit bestpathforme.com. Once again, that is bestpathforme.com. We all want to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Lisa Luckett, a life coach, speaker, and CEO of Cosmina Enlightened Living, a brand of kindness. Lisa is the author of the book, The Light in 9-11, Shocked by Kindness, Healed by Love. She's here today to discuss navigating fear. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Joan. Thanks so much for having me. So, Lisa, we've been living through extraordinary times for just about a year now. And so now, a year later, looking back, what do you believe is one of the biggest impacts these changes have had on us? So a year ago, we were just moving into our first experience of COVID, and we were shocked, right? We were caught completely off guard. All of a sudden, half the country was put into lockdown. We had to learn to wear masks. We had to remember them when we went to the grocery store. And um, now we have a choice now in how we're going to go forward because the fear factor very often is linked to uncertainty, unknowing, right? That's where we are. We're living right now amidst, we're kind of in the stew, if you will, of the experience. We don't know what the insights will be looking back. But we can say now with confidence, we know a lot more about the virus. We know a lot more about how to, how to protect ourselves. The question really is, what are we going to do with that? Because it's another block of time. And the fear, fear comes, you know, that it's, it's idle mind. It, the idle mind is the devil's workshop, I think was always said. We don't have enough going on right now. We're dealing with tedium. We're dealing with boredom. And we're dealing with the unknown. And the world clearly is, is in a little chaos. So fear is screaming. And the, the best thing we can do about fear is stay in the moment. There are some very real fears. There are, you know, there's financial insecurity and people are losing jobs and we're afraid of getting sick and losing loved ones. So those are very real fears that are being experienced by people today. And then there are the fears that we imagine. All the things that we're afraid of might happen. How can we learn to distinguish between the two so that we don't get so caught up and stuck in fearing everything that may happen? 
So if you remember that fear is really conjured, right? There is true fear about what's happening now, and, and we're just in such an unsettled time. But fear is really conjured in the mind. It isn't real. And fear comes from thoughts. And thoughts are things we don't, we don't actually have to attach to. So the question is, the prompt is really, is this thought real? Is this thought true right now? Am I sick right now? Is this person dying right now? Are these thoughts real or are we allowing them to take over? Because thoughts of the future are going to bring anxiety while thoughts of the past will bring regret. So really the only choice we have is to detach if we can from that thinking and evaluate it and really assess whether it's true or it's real. So in addition to detaching from the thinking, is there anything else we can do to mitigate fear? I think a lot of it's about letting go. You know, that we need to just understand that, that we're holding on so tightly to control of things that are uncontrollable. And if you can shift your mind and shift your, your take a breath and just say, wait a minute, I can't control what's happening in Washington. I can't control what's happening in the world. I can control what's happening right here in my world, in my moment. And let go. We can give ourselves permission to let go and trust and allow, because the truth is we think all of these horrible possible things, but how many of them really do come true? That's something, you know, I always say that to people because we live with all the fears of what may be. And if you really stop and think about it, pretty much everything we fear never materializes. That's right. That's right. There's a great Mark Twain quote that that says, basically, I've had some thoughts. I've had some terrible thoughts in my life some of which actually happened. <laughs> you know, they didn't, they were horrible, terrible, but most of them don't happen. And we get ourselves pretty twisted up. And part of the emotional intelligence about coaching and about taking a proactive step forward into getting some control back in your life is to do something like hire a coach. Let's look at things. What is that dream you have? What could you do? One step you could take today to make that dream happen. Could you watch a YouTube? Could you take an online class? Could you take, read a book? You know, who can you call today that's going to be a positive resource? You know, there's so many proactive ways. Most of the things about fear is, is what I call healthy distraction. So you, you distract yourself out of your fear because by knitting, which is tactile touch, which is going to calm your central nervous system, any kind of handcraft, patting a dog. If you'll notice that the pet therapies that have come out of COVID, it's about that, that, that tactile touch and that warmth of an animal. You know, those things are real and they do truly quell fear. Music is amazing. Anytime you tap into your senses, your taste, touch, sight, smell, or sound, you are going to distract into your non-logical brain or into your intuitive, creative brain. And that's where the quiet can be found because you can distract yourself through something that isn't your thinking, your logic, your reason. Because we're just filling of what is right now an enormous void of information and time. And, you know, when life gets back into being busy, this won't be as much of a problem. But right now it really is rearing its ugly head because we do have this idleness. Lisa, thank you so much for spending this time with us. If you would like to learn more about Lisa or her book or her work, you can visit her website, lisaluckett.com. Or as always, to hear more from Lisa, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Lisa. Again, thanks for being here. Thanks so much, Joan. Critical thinking is a disciplined way of thinking that can be applied to any topic or problem. It is the ability to clearly and logically consider information that is presented to us. There is value in thinking critically in every aspect of our lives, from making personal decisions to questioning media reports to assessing work projects. Applying critical thinking is an essential skill everyone should be trying to hone. Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my Ph.D. in life. The conventional view serves to protect us from the painful job of thinking. When we were children, adults told us how to behave and what we should believe, and we blindly followed their instruction. Then as we aged, we were taught to expand our minds and consider concepts and opinions that may be in conflict with what we previously thought. This expansion of mind opened the door to infinite possibilities and challenged us in ways never experienced before. Listening to different ideas enabled us to develop the process of analyzing information in order to form our own judgment. We learned to discern what works best for us and no longer were we dependent on what we were told to do. We could form our own opinion. This critical thought process taught us how to create the conscious decisions 
that affect the quality of our lives. Today, in a world of social media, around-the-clock news programs, and propaganda reporting, cultivating a critical thought process is more challenging than ever before. Sometimes it feels like we've lost the ability to think for ourselves or form our own conclusions. I often wonder if critical thinking is a lost art. With information overload, we need to think about thinking. Why is this so important? Critical thinking encourages curiosity. Curiosity helps us remain vigilant and gain knowledge about situations or our environment. Critical thinking enhances creativity. Creativity enables us to come up with different ideas and perspectives. Critical thinking reinforces problem-solving skills. Critical thinking develops independent thinking, the ability to take in various opinions or facts and then develop our own conclusion offers a freedom from manipulation. The good news is that critical thinking is a learned skill and we can get better at it. Here are three ways to develop critical thinking. Question assumptions. Don't believe everything at face value. Ask questions, conduct research. You don't always know what you think you know. Reason through logic. Ask yourself, is the argument supported at every point by evidence? Do all the pieces of evidence build on each other to produce a sound conclusion? Diversify thought. Get outside of your personal bubble and open your mind to new perspectives. As the Greek philosopher Aristotle said, it is the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. Never stop questioning or thinking. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more empowering tips and information, visit joanherman.com. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs>